Hi, my name is Ken Foster, Professor of Agricultural Economics at Purdue University. You're listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. Uh, I have a special guest with me. Um, You wouldn't believe it, but here in Columbia, I encountered my former co-host, Jessica Eyes. Many of you will remember Jessica. She was the Director of Communications and Agricultural Economics at Purdue. And now, uh, she is a PhD student in the Brian Lamb School for communications at Purdue. Jessica, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thank you so much for having me back, this time in the role of a guest. Yes, and, and uh, I think it's fabulous. I think it's a great transition from uh, you know the great partnership we had. So uh, tell me what you're doing here in Columbia. So I uh, stepped down from my role in the Ag Econ department to become, as you mentioned, a full-time PhD student. And there was a grant available from the College of Liberal Arts to conduct research that had some component of international collaboration. And I immediately thought of some colleagues that, some acquaintances that I I knew in Columbia at a university. And then I thought about a subject I really wanted to pursue, which was how we communicate around the subject of climate change. So I submitted a grant proposal and I won the grant. And so I've been down here in Columbia for the past two weeks conducting research with my Colombian collaborators, interviewing coffee farmers on the subject of climate change. And hopefully drinking a little coffee along the way. Oh, I've been drinking more than a little. Fantastic. Uh, So interviews about climate change with coffee farmers. What is it about coffee farmers and climate change that go together to make a research project? So right here well different countries are susceptible to climate change in different ways and because of Colombia's geography it happens to be more susceptible to climate change and climate fluctuations than certain other countries and so Colombia has been experiencing climate change effects and Colombia has a strong export of coffee as many of us know, Colombian coffee. And so I chose, you know, for any research project, you have to narrow down, figure out what segment of the population you're going to look at. And so we decided to look at coffee in particular, and Rizeralda, which is where we are right here, is smack in the middle of the coffee access of Colombia. Okay, so uh, tell me a little bit more about, I mean, do you have any like preliminary observations that you can share with us? well we definitely did there so we conducted interviews first person interviews that lasted about one hour and so they got pretty in depth and we conducted 45 in total and to try to get a representative sample which means getting a diverse group of people not just pulling interviewees from one area Um, We actually ended up going to all 14 of the municipalities within the state of Rizeralda. So these 45 interviewees were from all over this region. And we did notice some consistent commentaries. And one of them is that climate change is a phenomena that they are experiencing. It is very real and it is very difficult for them and how it affects their ability to raise their coffee, to produce coffee crops, and to make a profit to live on. So can you give me some examples of how the climate has changed for these farmers? Sure. So there's a couple things that they mentioned primarily. And down here, um, they basically define their seasons as 
verano, which is summer, and invierno, which is winter. And so you have summer and winter. And when they say that, they don't mean it in the same way that we do in the United States. You know, when we say winter, we're implying snow and bitter cold. But here, winter is more like a rainy season, and summer is more of like a warm, sunny, sunny season. And they need these defined seasons for their crops, um, for the coffee. But what's happened is these defined seasons that used to follow a pattern no longer follow that pattern anymore. And that makes it really difficult for them to have a productive crop because they never know when it's going to rain and they never know when it's going to be sunny because they don't have these consistent seasons that they used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so just to interject a little bit of my own experience please, from talking to, to some of the coffee farmers, uh, what they've told me, you know, coffee, like a lot of crops, uh, responds to environmental factors, one being rainfall. So rainfall stimulates blossoming, which then of course some months later stimulates you know fruit ready to harvest and when the when the rains become blurry like that you don't get distinct harvest seasons that it's blossoming all the time it's ripening all the time and uh, for anybody who has been to this part of Colombia uh, the coffee grows on very very steep slopes harvesting is hard work under any circumstances but when you have to constantly be going through and harvesting the labor costs and and all of those things and the logistics of coffee uh, processing just get dramatically much more difficult so definitely so yeah an in, in, in interesting subject um, uh, did you hear of them any of them talk about things that they're doing to address to adapt climate change that's a good question um, I think that a lot some of them are trying to adjust their techniques but one definitely very interesting thing that came away in our these are all very preliminary. I mean, we haven't analyzed the, the Of course, we yet. won't hold you to <laughs> any results, Jessica. But something that was very interesting is that we asked the coffee farmers where they went to get information on the weather tomorrow. So when you want to know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow in your region, where do you go to get that information? And, you know, in the United States, we would, you know, probably look on our smartphone or watch the news or go online. And even though we all complain about how, ha, 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 they get the weather wrong, it's actually pretty accurate in the United States. It can give us a general idea. But here, almost none of the coffee farmers we interviewed had any, felt like they had anywhere that they could go to reliably look at what the weather would be like tomorrow. And so they largely don't. They don't know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. One, one woman we interviewed who has a large, a large coffee um, farm, she told me that she asks her mom, her grand, who is an older woman to look at the sky and try to give her an estimate because they don't they really don't have an accurate source of of I don't know accurate meteorological source for their regions and also because there's these microclimates here in Colombia mm -hmm. you know it could be raining two miles away and sunny where you are which makes it really difficult to be able to pinpoint any, with any kind of accuracy what the weather is going to be Yeah, like. there may be a great uh, forecast for a large city like Pereira or Manizales, which are two large cities in this region, but when you're out in the campo up on the hill slope or whatever, yeah, it's very different. Turn the corner and the plant life mm -hmm. is different, the bird life is different. Um, so that's a good point that, mm -hmm. that, you know, in the U.S. we get we get used to this uniform weather over large space and 
good forecasts. And it's um, not the case uh, here. I know that didn't really answer your question. No, but but but, yeah. but but no, that is well. I mean, obviously, that's something that could help them to have a more defined or finer landscape of weather forecasts, um, and and for sure, uh, not just tomorrow's weather, but in this particular case, you know, longer term forecasts that might go out a couple of weeks and tell you what the weather's going to be like for for a few weeks. And we, we get into this in the U.S. sometimes, you know, looking at weather in 30-day windows. Um, and here that just would be probably unheard of. Yeah, and it's tough because, you know, they want to plan. They want to plan ahead. They want to plan ahead for, you know, when they're going to put their fertilizer down and when they're going to do their harvesting. And when you don't have any idea what the weather is going mm -hmm. to be like, it makes it really tough to make those kinds of plans. Yeah, very interesting. Anything else uh, that, that you discovered here in Colombia related to the research or otherwise that our listeners might find interesting. I'm, I'm actually almost at a loss because we uncovered so much in the interviews but there is one thing that I do find particularly interesting is one of the questions that we asked was uh, who do you talk to about climate change and the idea is that we try to get it uh, have an image or an understanding of who their who their network is or and that means who do they talk to on a regular basis? Who are the people with whom they interact most? And it really became clear that it's very heavily family and local community oriented. Hmm. So when they're talking about things like climate change or troubles on their farm, they're really talking to their family and they're talking to their neighbors. And I think that's important to understand that when it comes to the flow of information, we don't always think about how information flows from one place to another. But it's important to understand who are the, who do people really talk to? Who are they getting their information from? Who are they going to with their worries and their concerns? And it's very family and community oriented, local community oriented. Here. Is this an opportunity for those of us in the science of agriculture to have a role? I mean, is there a, is there an avenue by which we might be able to uh, pass information through this informal network that would help these people improve their livelihoods or their ability to adapt to climate change or I think that there absolutely is and here is one thing that really became very clear I would say again this is just my rough estimate based on you know our, our interviews and no analysis but I would say probably 95% of our interviewees do not use the internet and what does that mean that means you want to invest a lot of money and time in making a fancy website and you think that your information is going to get to people who need it, well, if the people who need it are coffee farmers in this region, a fancy website isn't going to do anything for them. And I think that in the sciences, in the, in the agricultural sciences, it's important to think about, at the beginning, I think it's important to think about how is the information that you're discovering going to ultimately get to the people who need it and to incorporate some element of that into your plan from the beginning and to investigate a little bit the people, the, the population who needs that information and try to look strategically at how it can get there. Uh, in this system, associations are really quite powerful and vibrant and so you could potentially get the information to these people through their associations but the material would need to be presented in a way that would be accessible to them. And so maybe you would have to request that the associations print, or maybe you could mail the associations copies of pamphlets that have the information that you want to share. And then the associations can physically distribute 
those pamphlets to the people in their association who don't have access to it. There are ways to get people the sure. information, you just have to know. Well, and I, and I think, uh, you know, we've discovered in some other environments like this that uh, sometimes it helps to partner with those associations, right? Because, you know, it's one thing uh, to ask them to share our material, but if we can part partner with them in producing the material so that, you know, they get some credit um, for, for uh, taking at least some risk of reproduction costs or something like that, we can, we can jointly uh, attach our logos and, and that's, that's a way to sort of entice them to, to buy in. Partnership is crucial. I did this project with three amazing Colombian collaborators here at UTP, which is the Universidad Tecnológica de Pereira, which is the Technological University of Pereira. For you gringos. For you. <laughs> And um, I could never have done this project without their collaboration. And so, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of working together with people. And, and when I say collaboration, it doesn't mean coming in with ex your idea of exactly how it's going to be coming in and right. being open to being flexible and, and adapting to what your partners think is right for the local setting. All right, fantastic. Any last parting comments? No, I really appreciate you inviting me here to share about this project. It's been a wonderful experience. Well, it's good to see you here in Columbia. It's uh, great to have another Purdue connection here with uh, uh, the Technical University of Pareda in Pareda, Columbia. So you've been listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. I'm Ken Foster, Professor of Agricultural Economics and your host. Uh, like us on Facebook and visit us on the web at www.purdue.edu.